Let's pray. Lord God, your word is near us. It's on our lips, it's in our hearts. The words that bring salvation to our lives are words that make all the difference in the world and eternity. And today as we talk about the power of your word, help us to realize that there's nothing greater than than who you are, what you've done, and what you, Lord Jesus, have fulfilled through your word. And help us to grow in our understanding of your word, but also in our desire to share it more freely in what we say and what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in a series called A Power Pack Life, and we're going through Paul's letter to the Romans, and today the theme is a power of the word, and to start things off, I want you to take out your bulletin, turn to page two, just inside the front cover at the bottom, has our vision, our mission, and our purpose. And I want to have us be reminded of why we exist, because I really feel the, the words of our text for today really tie into that. And the idea is we want to connect our vision, our vision, our vision, mission, purpose to the reality of what we're doing on a daily basis. So we did some work this last year on what our vision statement is, and I want us to read together what is written there. To build a vibrant community of disciples who share the deep and wide love of Christ in the church, community, and the world. You know, Jesus... Um, gave the Great Commission to a group of, of um, 11 people at the time, minus Judas, who had betrayed him. And basically, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. To these 11 people, he says, I want you to go out and make disciples where? In the whole world. And so our vision is staying true to God's word, to the, the words that Jesus um, gave to us. Um, that our desire is, is to be a community of disciples that not only impact Scassa, Arizona, but our impact goes even more out into the world. And in many ways it's happening, but our desire is to see that grow, to become greater. Our mission has been the same for many years, leading people to follow Jesus. And if we're going to lead people to follow Jesus, where it starts ourselves, the first we follow Jesus and as we grow in that faith, as we grow in following him, it becomes more natural to lead others to do the same. And then our purpose, there's three key words, discover, develop, declare. And this is a progression. Discovering faith in Jesus Christ. And this is awesome. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we know our sins are forgiven. We know we're going to live forever. And this is, you know, the, we know that our future is secure, but we can keep growing. Because even as we discover faith in Christ, we can develop in that faith. And as the word of God becomes more a part of our lives, we grow in his word. As it fills us more and more and the, his spirit fills us more and more. Um, we develop in this discipleship journey. And the third part, this is the win. What we're aiming at is declare. That we are people who declare our faith. We declare the word of God through what we do and through what we say. And I put do before say because I think so often our actions um, are key. The people aren't going to listen to us until they see who we are and what we're doing. And so today, the theme is the power of the word and, and putting our vision, mission, and purpose into action. And I want to talk a little bit about the word of God. And, and I mean, I could spend days talking about the word of God in itself, but I want to kind of just do a quick synopsis of what we see in the Bible. And right away in Genesis chapter 1, 
God said, let there be, and what happened? There was. He spoke the word, and it came into being. Talking about a powerful word. He can create out of nothing. And, you know, yesterday I watched a video with the men's ministry, or or men's group on on Saturday morning, meet at 7 o'clock, and we're going through with something called the Truth Project. And if any men want to join us, if you want to get up early Saturday mornings, it's a a great study. And um, it's kind of showing how, you know, a lot of people in the world today are secular. A lot of people have different views on how we came into existence. And there's some who believe that, um, that the universe and everything's always existed. But scientifically, it doesn't work because the second law of thermodynamics states that things are, energy is being given off and, and changing states, that if everything always existed, actually nothing would exist right now because the energy would be gone by now. And then the other view is that um, something came out of nothing, okay? And scientists, they can't figure that one out because they can't explain how something can come out of nothing. The only view that makes sense in all of this is God said, let there be, and there was. That by the power of his word, all things were created. The universe was created. We were created. Even the energy that keeps us sustained and keeps us going, it comes from the power of the word of God. And you look through the Old Testament, you see God's word um, and, and how history unfolds, and he gives to us uh, the Ten Commandments that show us the difference between sin and love. And this is very important. And we talked about in the series, you know, the law and, and sin and, and um, the gospel, that ultimately the law is important. It doesn't save us, but it shows us what's right and wrong. If we live by the Ten Commandments, we're living in love. So it's two choices. There's love and there is sin. And his word lays that out for us. You know, a lot of you have been you know, reading through the Bible this year. In fact, at the start of the year, I think about 250 of you are reading through the Bible. And this is my guess. We are in the middle of August, and some of you may be getting behind, okay? I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, but if you get, can't get caught up again, just pick up where, like today's reading. And recently, we went through the, the book of Isaiah. And, and I'm just amazed at, at Isaiah, written 700 years before the time of Jesus. And I want to use this one book as an example, because, you know, Isaiah you know, starts out by saying, hey, you know, here am I, send me. I'm, I'm available to do your will, God. And, and then he's you know, talking about the contemporary issues of his day and age. And all of a sudden, in chapter 7, verse 14, it says, a virgin is going to give birth to a son, and his name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's quite a sign. Fulfilled 700 years later. And then a couple chapters later, 9-6, he says, um, For unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given, the government will be in his shoulders, he'll be called um, Wonderful, um, Everlasting God, Mighty Father, Everlasting Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. And what we see there is that God lays out for us a trinity. We have a God, and he's going to be, he's Mighty Father, Everlasting Father, he's Prince of Peace, and he's Wonderful Counselor. And we see that this child is God. And then, Back into the contemporary issues of Isaiah's time, he jumped into chapter 11. It talks about the Holy Spirit is going to be fully involved in this child's life, okay? Fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. And then you go a little further, and you got all these sections of Scripture talking about the challenges of, of Isaiah's time. And then in chapter 40, that a, one's going to come to prepare the way for the Messiah, which would be who? John the Baptist. And then chapter 42 talks about the suffering servant would come and all the things that Jesus would begin to do um, 700 years later. And then you get to chapters 52 and 53, and in detail, here's, if you want a homework assignment, read through the last part of chapter 52 and all of Isaiah 53, and it goes into detail about the ministry of Jesus. He would suffer, 
be pierced for our transgressions. He would die on the cross for the sins of all of us. That he would rise again from the dead. He'd be put in the, in the, to the um, tomb of a rich man named, and ultimately Joseph of Arimathea is the one who fulfilled that. Goes through all these prophecies for one and a half chapters. In detail, written 700 years before Jesus was even born. How does that happen? You look through the whole Old Testament, there's hundreds of prophecies. Every one fulfilled, except for the ones talking about the second coming, which are still yet to come. The power of the Word of God. You know, some people say, well, maybe those things were written after Jesus was born, and we had manuscripts that came after Jesus was born, but we found the Dead Sea Scrolls when they found those years ago. They had manuscripts written, written way before Jesus was born that shows the accuracy of what Isaiah wrote. In the New Testament, the Gospels, Talk about the life of Jesus. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 1, 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the walking Word. He is the Word of God in real life. You want to understand who God is? You want to understand the Word? It's all about Jesus. He fulfills it. And you read about his life, he lived, he died, he rose, he takes away our sins, he rose again to give us eternal life. And the greatest thing of all, that this word is fulfilled through his actions, and ultimately our future is taken care of. Then we see the history of the early church, he began to share the word, and from a small group of people, from those 11 disciples, all of a sudden the, the word spreads, and now we have almost over 2 billion people that believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior in the world today. The power of what? The Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Paul says, All Scripture is what? God-breathed and useful for correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So the person of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How much of Scripture is from God? All of it. And what we see is this book written by 40 authors over 1,600 years in three continents, and it comes together and it completely agrees, never been proven wrong, and more than just words, they're power, they're living. They're not normal words. Now with that being said, it kind of ties into our text for today. The word is near us. The word is in us. The word comes from our mouth. And we're commissioned to believe. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and as it says in verse 9, we're going to be saved. And one thing I want to make clear, if you believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose, you're going to heaven, okay? You're saved. But it goes on to say that we are commissioned to share the word, to let others know. So the question I have right now is, is how did you come to know this faith in Jesus Christ? How did you come to faith? And I shared my story before. And I grew up, my parents, they drug me to church every week and went to Sunday school. And, but I did not come to faith and believe in Jesus until I was 18 years old. And you know, I could read the Bible until I was blue in the face. It didn't make any sense to me, just words. But when I was 18 years old, I was at a campfire and a youth group retreat, and a friend of mine sharing the Word of God, a message I've heard hundreds of times before, and something happened on that day. Those words he was saying became alive. And I felt God's Spirit enter my life, and I came to believe at that point that this faith is personal, that Jesus lived and died and rose for me, and my life has never been the same, and I received a gift on that day that lasts forever. And there's no 
Nothing in this life more valuable than that. How did you come to faith? Every one of us has our own story. I know for a lot of you, you have believed as long as you can remember. Okay? You look back, you've always believed. If that's the case, raise your hand. You've always believed. Okay? A good, vast majority of you. How'd that happen? Here's my guess. You probably had Christian parents. They probably made sure you were baptized. They prayed for you. They shared God's word with you. They brought you to worship. They brought you to Sunday school. Gave you every opportunity to grow up in knowing the word of God. And you came to faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that probably pretty close? And for some of the rest of you, what happened was along the way, somebody or some people came to you and they shared the word of God. And through that, you came to faith. And I guarantee you, every one of us, the commonality is that the word of God came alive in our lives. The word of God is a power. The Holy Spirit working through that word that helps us to come to faith. And so before I go to the next section of the sermon, I want to encourage you to always be thankful to the people that shared the word of God with you. Whether it was your parents, Sunday school teacher, neighbor, friend, whoever it was. In fact, maybe today, this afternoon, make a phone call and say, hey, thanks. Thank you. If they're, if they're still with us. You know, thank you so much for sharing the word of God. And the gospel lesson for today, Peter does something amazing. He's in a boat and he decides to do what? He sees Jesus walking on the water. The only time I've seen people walk on water is in Minnesota in the middle of winter when there's ice in the lake, okay? But I'm talking real water, okay? Peter gets out of the boat and he starts looking at Jesus. He's, walk, he's walking on water until he feels the wind and sees the waves and his focus gets off of Jesus. And what happens? Kaplunk. He yells out, Jesus, save me. Then Jesus reaches his hand down and pulls him up out of the water. And I think Jesus, this is my theory, I think Jesus has a smile on his face. He's saying, this is my kind of guy here. He got out of the boat. He got out of his comfort zone. And I tell you what, maybe the people that helped lead you to faith by sharing the word of God, they very well could have gotten out of their comfort zone too. In fact, it's going to take even more of that in the world today. Because I've got to tell you something. You know, people that are secular and that group is growing in our society that have no belief in Jesus, I got to warn you, they probably think we're nuts. Okay, you go to somebody who has no belief, you say, you know what? I believe in this God. I've never seen him. Okay? Um, and the Savior who was born of a virgin, and he came and he, he walked and he can walk on water and he could heal the sick people, he can raise the dead, and he's with me right now. He lives inside of me, and I talk to him every day. And someday I'm going to this place called heaven that I don't know where it is, but it's going to be incredible. And they're thinking, you're nuts. <laughs> you are crazy. Um, but you know what? This belief that I have, I die for it. I know it's real. And I want them to have this belief too. But you see the, the disconnect? It's going to take two things for that to change. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. But with that, somebody to deliver the message. And so that's a challenge, the power of sharing the word with others. And I want to encourage us to grow in our ability to do that. Because I think a lot of people think, that's the job of the pastor, that's the job of the outreach team. 
It's not my job to share the word of God, but yet Jesus says we're all to have beautiful feet in his word. We're all to go and make disciples. As you go, as you go through your ordinary day, as you go to the store, as you go to school, as you go to to work, no matter what you do, make disciples along the way. How? Share his word. Jesus gives this amazing parable, the parable of the sower. And this guy's just going along, just throwing out the word of God, throwing the seed out the word. Some, some falls on a hard path and the birds come and eat it. And it never takes root in the lives of the people that, that are trying, he's trying to have receive it. And some falls in the thor- thorns and thistles, it begins to grow and it gets choked out by the ways of the world. Some falls on a rocky soil, it begins to grow and the sun hits it and withers and it, and it dies. That part's kind of depressing. But then, some falls on the good soil and it grows 30, 60, and 100 fold. And let me tell you something. There is nothing more exciting than to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Hearts and lives change forever. To see people growing in that faith. And the parable lays out a couple things that, number one, we're supposed to be growing 30, 60, 100 fold. To keep growing in our faith journey. But then it keeps sowing the seed. And sometimes people are going to make fun of you. Sometimes people are going to give you a hard time. Don't let it get to you. Because we're trying to share something with them that's going to change their life forever. We want to share with them the most important thing they could possibly ever receive. And God calls upon us to be involved in this process. In the Bible, it talks about don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But ultimately store up treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is or your heart is also, what are treasures in heaven? I've talked about this before. I want to make sure you get this. What are treasures in heaven? And I tell you what, they're not. They're not stuff. We can't send our belongings ahead of us when we go to heaven someday. We can't send our money on ahead of us. I was reading about a religion recently that they they burn money thinking that when they burn it, it's going to go on to the next life. You know, that's, maybe we should go and say, we'll burn it for you, just give it to, to me and just put it in your pocket and walk away. I mean, that's, that's, that's wasting money. <laughs> but the bottom line is, worldly stuff can't go to heaven. Only one thing goes to heaven, and that's the souls of people. Treasures in heaven. Souls that go to heaven. And here's the ultimate thing every one of us should want someday, I think. This is what I want to see. I mean, someday you enter into heaven when your time comes. It's something we shouldn't be afraid of. Life's, life's fine here. It's going to be great in heaven, perfect in heaven. And you enter into heaven, and a group of people come around you, and they say, thanks for helping me to get here. Thanks for sharing God's word with me. And it may not have been orally sharing. It might have been through your example, through an action of love you did for them. And I think this as well. You're going to see some people up there, you're going to say, how did you get here? Because we're going to be surprised. I think God is a lot more loving and forgiving than even people are. And he's working in people's lives all the time. He's chosen to work through people like us. That'd be the ultimate thing. Who is God putting in your life? And what kind of legacy do we want to leave someday? What is that legacy going to be? And I'll tell you this. You know, after we leave this world, are they going to remember us? 
This is my belief. All the worldly stuff we do is going to be forgotten. Anything we do, worldly speaking, is going to be forgotten. It's dust in the wind. It's going to be forgotten. I shared before that I was on a national championship soccer team at Concordia College in St. Paul, and, and on the first championship in over 100 year history, I went back to the field house a few years back, and I'm looking around. I couldn't find a single picture of our team. We were forgotten. It didn't matter anymore. What matters is the things happening recently. Stuff goes away. But everything that we do, that we say, that we give in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, everything that's done through his word, it's the power of his word, how long does that last for? Forever. So my friends, as we leave here today, there's people in your life, maybe some at the grocery store, maybe a teller at the bank, maybe a neighbor, maybe one of your children, maybe a relative that God has put in your life. And I ask you to do two things. Number one, to pray for that person, those people. Pray for them. And then be available. Just, just show up. Just be there. Make yourself available just to be there to serve them and see what the Holy Spirit does. And you may think, I don't know what to say. I can guarantee you this. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say at the right time. Don't worry about speaking. Worry about just serving. And see what happens. Because I know this. There's 2 billion people in the world. Imagine if every Christian on our planet let God use them to lead one person of faith in, in, in a year. In a matter of two or three years, what happens to the entire world? The entire world comes to faith. And it can happen by the power of the word. And in closing, I shared a story a number of months ago by a guy named Edward Kimball. Anybody remember the name Edward Kimball? What was he? A Sunday school teacher. A Sunday school teacher who went and talked to an unruly child um, that was in his class by the name of Dwight Moody at um, his place where he was working at his dad's shoe store. And, and there he prayed with Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody became a believer, and Dwight Moody became an evangelist. And Dwight Moody ultimately led a, a professional baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday to, to faith, who became an evangelist, who in turn led another guy by the name of Mordecai Ham to faith, um, who ultimately became an evangelist, who went to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he... Um, did a crusade, the second day of the crusade, a young 18-year-old by the name of Billy Frank came to faith, and we know him as Billy Graham. By one trip to a shoe store, billions of lives were changed forever. The next conversation you have with somebody could be as somebody as the next Billy Graham. Maybe it's one of your kids. You don't know. Or grandkid, great-grandkid. But this is true. God's word is powerful. And may God grant that with greater boldness, we will go forth to live it out and share it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. We thank you for the people you sent to our lives that stepped out of the boat and brought your word to us and help us to keep growing in your word. There's two choices in life. There's a world and there's the word and Holy Spirit. You're calling us to the word. And help us to grow in our desire to, to share it because all is done. The sharing of your word has eternal significance. We thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This time the offering will be received. Please um, sign the registers in your rows at this time as well.